Welcome into the first regular season edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. How are you? Oh, living the dream. We got a race to talk about and the next race to talk about in a month. I know that... You know, you, uh, you can't have it all. I know. I know. It just... You look at the schedule and you're like, oh, there's not too many holes in there. But then when you when you reach the hole here, uh, man, it hurts. It, it would be it would be amazing to be talking about a race in, say, Argentina next weekend, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. So you're saying the gap in the schedule is like a Max Verstappen sized gap <laughs> you yeah. know, to the rest of the field. It is very much that, you know, the <laughs> tradition, I was joking around, the traditional early spring uh, break in the schedule for IndyCar, because we always talk about the summer break in Formula mm-hmm. One. Well, now we're at that uh, that early summer break. After the grind of one race weekend, it's a well-earned break for all the teams. Hey, let's not forget the thermal test. You know, know. about, a, yeah, about God forbid, what, the thermal test. three weeks ago. That is true. Four weeks it's ago. It's been an absolute grind here the past uh, six Coast to coast. Months. Yeah, very much. <laughs> very true. A well-earned break for everyone involved. But I'm sure for some teams and drivers, they're glad to have uh, this break to try to figure out what the hell went wrong at St. Pete, but other drivers would very much love to uh, continue over the next couple weeks into another race weekend, particularly Marcus Erickson. Yes, uh, Marcus Erickson does it again. He wins the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. I think, th- and, and we're going to do our three things, and obviously we'll start with Marcus Erickson. That's, that's a given. Um He has become, I think, the most under-the-radar guy in the series. All of his race wins have included a red flag. You you have Detroit, uh, when Power had his engine mishap. Uh, Obviously, the Indy 500. You had the red flag for... The crash in the Nashville, the the inaugural Nashville race with Erickson Airborne. You had red flags in that race. Uh, And then now you had a a red flag in this one for that wild uh, first-lap crash on Sunday, but I get people feel like, oh, this guy just like is lucky, but he has to be, I think the word I would use, the most opportunistic driver in the series right now. He takes advantages of opportunities, not maybe not necessarily like on track going for gaps and finding a way to make a wild pass. I think he just, he sits and waits for the race to come to him better than just about anyone right now in IndyCar. He looks very much like his teammate, doesn't he? He, he races like Scott Dixon. I was going to say, which teammate, Pillow or Dixon? No, because that is they, Scott they Dixon, it. because it, with the terms of longevity with Scott Dixon and how he's done it, is he's just, he's always there. He's always lurking and takes advantages of mistakes or opportunities. And that's what we're seeing Marcus Erickson do. And once again, he did it. Pato Ward's mistake, whether it was his, whether it was an engine, and it sounds like it was something out of his control, he was there to pounce. And make no mistake, I felt like Marcus Erickson was going to pass Pato Award at some point yes. anyway. And at the very least, they were going to take each other out and Scott Dixon was going to win the race. <laughs> but it uh, felt like Erickson had the advantage on Pato even before the mistake. But credit to Erickson, made the move, coming out, uh, coming into to this front straight and on the runway, was able to make the pass and get the win. But Marcus Erickson continues to really impress in the sense that he has developed into a driver similar to his teammates, predominantly Scott Dixon. And it's it's very impressive. Yeah, I, I think we take for granted, and I think a lot of people felt like at the time when he went in the Indy 500, I don't like using the word underwhelming, but I think that's how people felt maybe in the moment 
Yeah. But the way he kind of continued on the rest of the season was a championship contender until falling off the last handful of races. But he's got back-to-back top six points finishes. He's won the Indy 500. He's won a handful of races. This is not some like anomaly. This is not like a, a situation where guy just right place, right time, won the Indy 500, and, and that was it for his career. This is a guy, I think, this year... We, we talk about your Pato Awards, your Alex Blows, your Scott Dixons, your Joseph Newgardens, Colton Hurtas. I think this is that other guy as part of that group that we forget that is a championship contender. And until I think we see him capture one or really be in it going into the final weekend, maybe he's going to be underappreciated in that respect. But even uh, the folks on NBC were talking about it over the weekend, even before the race, that... He just seems to have a certain amount of swagger this year that he hasn't in years past. And being the an Indy 500 champion last year and then using that now as as fuel into 2023, he seems like a dude that is comfortable in himself, comfortable in his role, comfortable with the team, comfortable in the series to the point where he's a guy that expects to do this, that, and the other and is outwardly expressing that. And, and we're seeing that with Marcus, Marcus Erickson. He's no longer just the dude that's the, the quiet dude that says all the right things and he's learning and all that stuff. He has a swagger about him and he executed to perfection on Sunday and took advantage of mistakes and ended up getting the win to start the season. They mentioned also in the broadcast how he really hit the gym in the offseason, uh, fitness level at, at a top level. And, and for this race, you had to be based on the conditions, uh, the aero screen in human conditions is just miserable for these drivers and qualified fast six. I think that's underrated. Uh, that's not something that you're expecting. Not that he's a guy who, who can't reach that level right. as far as qualifying, but I just don't think people think of him as a guy who's going to contend for fast sixes week in week out uh, on road and street courses. But you look at his wins, three street course wins, an oval win, um, he was never thought of as a road and street course or oval only ace, but this is a guy who's getting more balance as well as far as what he can do on different types of tracks. And a guy that could be in the conversation for a championship this season, if he can be steady, if he can be consistent. He's showing that, not necessarily winning every weekend because we saw that not necessarily turning out for Joseph Newgarden the last couple of years with race wins, but avoiding the the bad weekends, the 24th place finishes, the 19th place finishes, and and bringing it home and, and where you can. And, and make no mistake, while Marcus Erickson potentially could have passed Pato Award uh, for the win last Sunday without that miscue, he probably was perfectly content being second at, at this point. And that's the make of a guy that's thinking long-term, but he's also a dude that's not going to let an opportunity go to waste, but he's tactical. He knows when to do things and when not to do things. And if anything, Sunday reminded us of certain drivers that know when to do things and when not to do things. And those drivers that really are impatient. And we saw plenty of that on Sunday. I think the other thing you mentioned about kind of his patience and he's not going to get those horrendous results. Usually Last year, his worst finish was Long Beach. That was just the third race of the year. After that, just three races outside the top 10, or excuse me, four races outside the top 10 all season after that Long Beach result. So really solid. And, and yes, he didn't finish the season, you know, as, as hot as he was in that time, you know, between the Indy 500 uh, through Iowa as a leading the championship as a championship leader there. But I think this is a guy that we have to keep in mind for the title fight that I think we kind of disregarded going into the year. 
I would agree. And and now he's off to a hot start and a guy that's with a team that we know competes for championships because here at the podcast, we talk about Penske and Ganassi winning championships. We don't consider anybody else until it actually happens. And it's been a decade plus since that's happened. So he's racing for one of the two teams that you need to race for to have a chance at winning the championship or to win a championship. And he's off to a great start. It was overall a really good weekend for Ganassi with Erickson finishing first. Scott Dixon, third, below, what was he, seventh or eighth? Uh, he was in the top ten as well. So eighth, yeah. A, a good weekend for Ganassi overall. Uh, what what about a takeaway for you, first one? Well, let's talk about this because I think it was debated even out of the race and, and since then is how do you rate the race? Was it a crash fest or was it entertaining? Was it a little bit of both? Was it too much um, chaos and not enough racing. I think you and I are in agreement that it was it was entertaining. There was just enough chaos to be, um, I guess, make things unpredictable. But at the same time, I didn't feel like you were racing yellow to yellow. There there was some some actual passing on track and not necessarily all the drama coming under yellow or necessarily in the pits. I felt like this was a race where it is such a fine line between feeling like a crash fest and entertaining. And I get people have very differing opinions, for example, on the first two Nashville races on that same kind of regard, that same status. But we're, to me, we're this one was on the, on the right side of entertaining. Yes, there's a lot of contact and crashes, but also it was entertaining. You had battles on track that you're not going to get yeah. you know, in, in other series, so to speak. Uh, you, you guys were going for it and it was just the first race of the year. And I think that's the biggest takeaway is that they were racing hard. People aren't sitting back trying to collect points. It didn't feel like there was any of that for the first race of the season. That said, you had some guys being way too impatient opening lap crash, right? And all it takes is one person to screw up, to have a big crash. And we saw it happen twice in this race. And I've read in other places, well, you can't put too much on um, the numbers of drivers or, or, or cars based on on the issues, but you definitely can. If there were if there were seven cars in this race, there's less issues than there was. If there was 17, 17 would have less issues than 27. I really think you're up against it, and I know the, the, the battle for the last several years has been car count, and, and we're up. I really seriously think that you're reaching a point where you have – too many cars. Well, and based on the crash damage alone on a, a street course race where if you have damage outside of, you know, a rear toe link or a front wing or a rear wing, uh, that's pretty serious stuff. And we had a lot of cars, lot of cars. taken out right away. A lot of cars that didn't finish a lap. You had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five cars didn't even finish a lap. You had the Foyt team and Meyer Shank racing those entire teams didn't complete a lap in this race and uh, unfortunate. And I know everybody's been so excited and we're excited about having 27 cars, but it's some of these tracks. It just feels like too many cars because you're magnifying the opportunity of something happening. If you have 27 drivers, there's more independent thought than if there was seven or 17 to screw up and make a mistake. And, and you're just, you're, you're magnifying the chance for issues. I think in all honesty, outside of Indianapolis, the sweet spot for me is 25 cars. 25 cars at every event just feels good. High 20s for some of these street courses is just too many cars. I'd be okay with that if you're excluding ovals where you say ovals, you can have more than 25. 
I, I would see it. I, I just you're you're gonna have these races, whether you felt it entertaining or crash fest with this many cars. More cars, more opportunities for mistakes. That's just how it's gonna work. And unfortunately for some people made mistakes. Somebody that didn't crash, at least early, but also cost himself a chance in this race, Colton Herta, with his opening stint. And I know you and I were talking about it. It didn't necessarily doom him, but it put him back in the pack to then be caught up in something else. And for Colton Herta to be racing as hard, he was, as hard as he was racing in the opening stint and then plummet because he needed to get to a certain lap count on those tires that were just done because of the way he was racing uh, Grosjean at the front, unacceptable. I mean, for a guy that we consider an elite driver in this sport, he needs to stop making those types of mistakes. He needs to understand that he needs to be a little bit more passive to start that race on alternates. He wasn't, and it doomed his race because he got pushed back in the field and then caught up in issues. Yeah, and, and the crash, not his fault. I mean, Will Power got avoidable yeah, contact. Totally. They made contact not once but twice. Uh, the first contact put him, put her to off the racing line, and then Power just, I mean, just took him out. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, by not conserving his tires, not sitting back, and, and instead of just laying low, one and a half, two second gap, you know, maintain yeah, your position. Even if you're dropping back, for like, it just and, don't. And used up his tires, yeah. and then boom, tires fell off. He was in a bad spot because of it, and then that completely changed his race. He needs to be better at that stuff. He's asking his his team, like, do I need to meet a time here with these tires? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you do. You need to get to 20, 22 laps on these tires. And he was just falling like a, like a rock. And for the first, for the first part of that first stint, he was firmly in second plate. Like him and Grosjean had kind of separated themselves from the rest of the pack. And Grosjean mm-hmm. eventually separated himself from Herta, but he just needed to go around and, and keep pace and protect his tires and get to the pit to where he could put on, the uh the regular tires the primaries but didn't put himself in traffic and then disaster struck um halfway through the race and i think it's easy to compare herda and pato just because well they're teammates in yeah. indie lights they came into the series basically the same time yes herda had a full-time ride and pato kind of strung together races then in right. year two they were both full-time guys but it's an easy comparison to make and pato thought of it as being very aggressive right but Pato also is aggressive because he picks his spots in the times to yep. be aggressive. He, yeah. He's kind of nailed that down, and we'll get into what happened with the team in a bit. But I think that is kind of the one difference in the racecraft. While Herta has the pure speed advantage, uh, and and maybe even a slight talent advantage. I mean, very slight. I think Pato knows how to maximize points a lot better and just. Be patient uh, compared to Herta yeah. at this stage. Yeah. The best drivers, regardless of the discipline, IndyCar, Formula One, NASCAR, IMSA, whatever, know when to be aggressive, know when to be passive, know when to push it, know when to hang back, know the situation and make those decisions correctly. And and I don't think Colton Herta is there yet. And I think that was, once again, we saw that rear its head on Sunday. He needs to be smarter at the start of the race. He wasn't. You can blame Will Power for ruining Colton Herta's race. In my opinion, Colton Herta ruined Colton Herta's race by the way he raced that first stint. All right. So that, that was like three things in yeah, one. Yeah, sorry. What's, what's your number two? Let's, uh, <laughs> so my number two, uh, let's talk about Aaron McLaren. Okay. So first off, 
look, it, it was a good debut for Alexander Rossi. Went from 12th on the grid to 4th. He had a solid race. It was never really challenging for anything, but right. a solid top five in his debut. On the surface, yes, a, a good race weekend for Pato Award. Qualified third, finished second. And then you have Felix Rosenquist, who qualified top 10. He had contact with Dixon, and, and that ruined his race really from the beginning, and he's a bunch of laps down. But overall, for the team, pretty solid weekend. Two cars in the top four. However, if you want to be a championship team, and I get it, this was a random event. From everything we understand, the plenum fire in the engine, like these things happen. But also, it, like, is this not the stuff that happens to your non Penske <laughs> yeah, teams, right? right? That's just like what it feels like. I'm not blaming Pato for this. I don't think there's really anything he could have done. But it just seems like this is the kind of stuff that separates that team mm -hmm. exactly. from Penske and Ganassi. And that's these are it's the things closing for race yeah. wins when you have them. These are the things that can't happen if you expect to rise up and challenge Penske and Ganassi consistently for a championship. This just can't happen. And regardless of whose fault it is, and, and it's completely random, but eventually things too much still still too many things happen for arrow mclaren to be considered a championship contender and this is one of them right this is the most recent example of this whether it's in their control out of their control driver mistake engineering mistake team mistake uh engine supplier mistake whatever it is too many mistakes across the board for arrow mclaren this is just the most recent and does it set the tone for the rest of the season for them because this is the year once again we're hearing a lot of preseason talk about mclaren jumping up and being that championship contending team and Indy 500 contending team. And these mistakes are what prevent you from being that. As far as driver lineups go for the Indy 500, they're the one B to Ganassi's one a, right? I would agree. Um, as far as the championship and driver lineups, you still have to slot them behind Penske and Ganassi just based on the championships that the drivers for those teams have won, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so these are the, as you mentioned, these are the little things that look, you have to seize the opportunities. Um, you, you have to feel really bad for Pato, right? There, like there's nothing he totally. could have done. Couldn't have done anything. Do it I think Marcus would have caught him? Yes. Yes, I do. At the end. Now that battle for that pass, who knows what would have happened there? I'm saying it could have ended up like McLaughlin and, yes. and Grosjean, which we'll talk about here in a second, but it was a good weekend for McLaren second and fourth. Mm -hmm. um, not counting, uh, Rosenquist, but um, for for in for that team, you have to be better. You have to take advantage of the opportunities you have. You had an opportunity for a race win, and something happened to take that away from you. Yeah, when you have a race winning car, you have to win races. You have to win races, and I think yeah. that's just what it boils down to. All right, your next takeaway. Well, let's talk about the McLaughlin and, and Grosjean incident. And First off, it was probably the most exciting um, part of the race when, with McLaughlin coming out on cold tires. And initially, you looked at it and said, well, Grosjean just cooked it in, in the tires. But the more and more you examined it, and it was obviously McLaughlin just going too hard. And um, unfortunately, it took away the two contenders out of the race but but here I, f I felt like once again it was a missed opportunity and i know you've touched this on this earlier in the week is this could have created a rivalry or drama and initially grosjean was visibly upset said some things immediately after the wreck that you know kind of okay maybe we got something here but 
in the end, oh, it's two good friends. They patched it up. Everything's fine going forward. I'm like, dang, it's another missed opportunity to have some drama, right? Around these these car, these drivers. That's yeah. That uh, it's unfortunate. Like, I mean, they they met. They literally hugged it out after the race and talked. And they they mentioned on the broadcast that hey, they're friends. It is what it is. But man, it just these are the kind of things that IndyCar. I'm not saying we need to manufacture drama. You, no, it but, needs to be natural. It needs to be organic, unique and organic, as they say, right? Yeah. But this is like a, a perfect opportunity, and it's just, unfortunately, because the paddock, they're friends outside of everyone hating right? Santino Ferrucci. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just, man, it just feels like a massive missed opportunity. And I'll be curious how they present this, if they do present it on 100 Days to Indy. How could you not? Right. But I just, I wish there was a way to at least take what's said on the radio, maybe it, just find a way to, this is why Netflix Driver Survive yeah. works, right? You you take stuff and I get it. It's it's a docu-series. It's more about the drama than truly what's going on because if it was about what's going on, people wouldn't be hooked on Formula yeah. One. Uh, they're hooked on the personalities, right? And so that's personalities, what personalities, the drama, see. the behind the scenes yeah. battles. And unfortunately, in the wider context is um, that's what sells, but that isn't what IndyCar wants. And you don't want to manufacture it, but also if it's there, you'd like to see it cultivated. You'd like to see something come out of it. And it just doesn't. And uh, it's unfortunate because I thought, and maybe I'm in the minority. I was rooting for Romain Grosjean. I wanted to see him get his first win. Oh yeah, same. Uh, I, I know I, some people don't uh, aren't a fan of Grosjean, but he was the fastest car on track on on Sunday. He had not put a wheel wrong until McLaughlin put him in the in in the tires. And we've talked about missed opportunities for Grosjean and Andretti Autosport previously, particularly last year where they just kind of weren't meshing in a lot of races. This was a race. We talk about Arrow McLaren. When you have a race winning car, you need to execute. Sometimes it's on you. Sometimes it's random, like Laplinum fire. And sometimes it's random when you're taken out by another car. But Scott McLaughlin just needs to be smarter there. Back off. I know in a lot of respects, it felt like uh, the race for the win there, but you're on cold tires. I mean, inevitably you're not going to hold on to that position. And unfortunately, that's what resulted. Felt bad for Ryan Grosjean, but felt good. Hey, maybe we could have something here. But no, it was quickly squashed. I understand that the drivers don't want to manufacture the drama and their friends, but at the same time, man, it'd be really nice for the series to have something, something to uh, really raise the dramatics around the series. Yeah, it just, man, it just feels like another missed opportunity, but we'll we'll see what becomes of it on the docuseries 100 Days to Any, which comes out April 27th. So looming around the corner about a month and a half or so away as we record here on March 9th, just for uh, informational purposes only, if you will. Yes. Okay, so my final takeaway, right? What do you got? Yep, number three. Okay, number three. I am going to go with the team here. And now I understand avoiding the chaos is... So Some of this. You're stealing mine. You're going to talk about Hunko's Holland, <laughs> yeah. aren't you? Yes. Uh, you know what? No, I'll let you I'll let you have that oh, one. Oh, okay. I'm going to change my mind. Let's talk about Penske. Have we ever seen a weekend outside of their struggles of the Indy 500 the last, what, three years now? Uh, where Penske just looked... Human? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good word. I couldn't think yeah. of the right word or phrase. But you had Joseph Newgarden's car catch on fire. You Did had, we ever get an explanation for that, by the way? Uh, engine issue. Yeah. That's the understanding as far as Newgarden goes. I know I have a note uh, somewhere on it. They will take a look at it. And hey, um, those are what cost you championships. Yes. Those issues. When you finish 17th as opposed to 9th, that's what costs you championships. So, yes, engine failure, uh, they'll find the root cause when it's dismantled in, in Detroit, so they'll take a look at it. Uh, I'm sure they've looked at it by now, but yes, engine uh, failure for New Garden. So you had engine failure in the race. You had McLaughlin and what, New Garden go off track in practice. You had Will Power uh, get a penalty in the race. Yes, he ended up rallying to finish seventh because the penalty was so early on. Uh, it was what, like mid mid race, just and never with all the contact. Yeah, but he was never a factor. never a factor um, with a guy that's dominated St. Pete at least in qualifying. Yes, yeah, it qualifying as well. Yeah, he started tenth. So yeah. overall, it just a very mediocre weekend for Penske. I, I think it's a big surprise. I would agree. I, I think any time you can talk about Penske not delivering at a track outside of Indy, it's a bit of a surprise. So, yeah, I think it's a great point and maybe something we've glossed, uh, glossed over in looking at reviewing the race is just how ineffective Penske was. And, you know, McLaughlin had the best car out of the three, and he, he was put the only wrong. one challenging yeah. for anything. And he's I, the I one get that, that Newgarden was maybe going to have a top five until that engine failure, but he was never challenging right. for the lead or battling for a podium spot. Uh, Power made that mistake, so that, that was never a factor. Just to have one car out of the three, even you know, doing anything of note, leading laps, being a factor at the front. You get an engine failure and a penalty uh, for the other two. And then the the guy leading gets caught up in a crash on cold tires where that is such a tough one to go. Like, yes, it's McLaughlin. It's his fault, right? Right. But with that, Grosjean has to go for it because literally the next set of corners – McLaughlin's yeah. tires are going to be warmed yeah. up. So what do you do? An At the same time, lost. McLaughlin, like y- you have to know that you're on cold tires and know that hey, you're you're not going to stop as well right. as you would even a lap later. But it's just knowing the moment, and it just felt like that was not knowing the moment there. I would agree. I mean, coming out of the weekend, I think there's only two teams that feel pretty good about how it went. I think it's Ganassi and Hunkos. Yeah, so the let's talk about teams. Hunkos. How about this? And, and Callum Eilat, fifth place, and you have Augustine Canapino coming in at home in 12th. And I know, and you mentioned part of it was just staying out of trouble, but also for Augustine Canapino to come in this race and run, uh, he finished on the lead lap, so 100 laps without putting a wheel wrong, and A, staying out of trouble, but also not creating trouble himself. And his first time on a street course, especially St. Pete, is absolutely impressive. And I think this is what we talked about earlier this week, is we talked so much already on this podcast about impatience with drivers. And Augustine Canapino, yeah, he may not have the experience in open wheels or at least Indy cars, but he has the experience of know when to push and know when to not. And he's old enough to understand that. And I think that was key this past weekend, probably going to be crucial to his season this year in terms of getting uh, up to speed and learning is just being patient and that's something you can't teach, and a 22-year-old is going to be less patient than a 32-year-old, and I think we've seen Canapino live up to that, to his age, in the sense that he just took what the track was giving him, stayed out of trouble, ended up bringing in him in top 12, and 
Meanwhile, Callum Eilat uh, is a guy that is set on record. He feels like he can be as fast as anybody on track anywhere they go if he's given the equipment. And at least through one weekend, he showed it and, and was very impressive in his top five. Part of it, yes, staying out of trouble, but also legitimately finishing a top five for Callum Eilat is huge for him and that team. I think with Canapino, so he's 33 years old. And I know we talked about this, uh, I think, via text or maybe even in person some sometime this week. But he's a 33-year-old rookie. He's not a 20, 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old right. rookie uh, who's coming from Indy Lights. He's a guy coming from you know, G- GT racing in, in Argentina, or I guess they call it TC in Argentina, their top-level series. Uh, he's won that so many times. But he has a lot of racecraft experience. Yeah, he may not have the experience in an Indy car or in a Formula type car, a single seater open wheel car. But he has a lot of racecraft experience. Also, as Townsend Bell pointed out on the broadcast, he has street course racing experience. They yeah. race on street courses in that series. So yeah. the fact that he didn't cause a single issue, not just in the race, and that he finished on the lead lap, but that he didn't have a single run in the entire weekend. Yeah, he may have like overshot a turn, but everyone does that. We right. were testing the limits in practice. The guys were figuring out the brakes. Uh, the Ray Hall team, once they figured out the brakes, they were good to go. Just took them a bit in, in fi- figuring out the brake bias. So the fact that he was never involved in any incident the entire weekend, I think is phenomenal. Like I can't yeah. understate it enough how impressed I was by what he did. And... It, you kind of had reservations about what he was going to do going into the weekend because yes, the thermal test, he, he ran well there was not dead last was not a guy, you know, we thought this is going to be, be a guy who's a second and a half off the pace everywhere. That's simply not the case. And at thermal, he was competitive mid pack roughly. And this weekend, same thing qualified decent. In fact, I lot and him were on the same row. Yeah. And what he did this weekend, I think, just kind of goes to prove having a lot of racing experience means something. I get that it's not in Indy cars or even coming from Indy Lights. And we saw that play out. Now, I'm not saying he's going to set the world on fire at, at TMS for his first oval right. race. But I think you can see some growth. And this is a guy who, by the end of the season, with this team, having a, a second car, pulling a lot more data, he's clearly more resources not dragging on that the, team. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They, they, I, they pointed out I think in one of the practice sessions, or I think I saw on Twitter that they have their own hospitality tent. Now they, yeah. they've joined the big boys. Yeah. They are set up uh, from every, everything that people said is pretty impressive. So maybe as I, I think Townsend said this, we shouldn't think of them as just a small little team anymore. They're here yeah. to compete. And Callum Eilat's a guy by the end of the season, it almost feels like a lock will have a podium, right? And oh, maybe totally. if, if all the cards go right, maybe he could get a race win. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if a race win, but I, I see him on a podium at least. But when you look at Canapino, and there's something to be said about a guy that comes into the series that's not racing for his racing career. You have a lot of guys that are doing that. You also got have guys that are that know they're, they, they're racing for a championship, racing for wins. Canapino comes in. He's not racing for his career. Okay, he's, he's, he's 33 years old. He's set. He's fine. Uh, he's also not racing necessarily for wins or a championship, so he understands that. So he's just a veteran dude that's coming in, knows the expectations, and knows he doesn't have to go out and overperform to make sure that he keeps his seat. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. He's a dude that just can come in with no outside pressure, not a lot of of um, 
of, of real feeling a lot on his shoulders. He's just a dude that can come in loose, learn the tracks, stay out of trouble, run his pace, and bring the car back in one piece. And that's what we're seeing at least through one race with Augustine Canapino. It's impressive. Very impressive. Uh, I'm sure Texas will be a lot tougher to uh, yeah, I'm sure put together be. something, but it will be interesting to see how he, go, how he goes about it and just how everyone goes about it, having 27 cars at Texas, uh, just such a massive, massive field. So that's our three takeaways, or if you're Justin, what, five takeaways? Yeah, I'm sorry. That was like eight and a half. <laughs> eight and a half. Hey, it's first race <laughs> of the year. You'll, you'll learn to pare it down as the season goes on. Uh, let's see any other kind of just little notes from finishes. I mean, Marcus Armstrong solid in his debut. Yeah. I think this is a guy who's clearly going to be a, a future guy for Ganassi long-term. Also Connor Daly didn't have his drink bottle, uh, since lap one. Can you imagine in that heat? And there was one, at least one pit stop or where they came shirt. in and just dumped, dumped water yes. on him. Um, yeah, it's very impressive for him to go hundred laps, uh, in well, that well, 99. You know, 99, he was a lap behind, but 99 laps in that condition, like his cool shirt didn't work or he didn't have one on. It, uh, he's, he said no drink bottle or cool shirt from lap one on. So that means Must that de- it, it def- did not yeah, work. Didn't work. So, um, yeah, great job by Connor Daly to survive all that and come home 14th. I thought it was overall a good race, had a little bit of everything, had some drama, had some uh, some chaos, but that's what you're going to get on a street course with 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 tight tight turns in some areas and 27 cars. That's the recipe. I don't think you can point it and say, oh, you know, the drivers um, are, are terrible or they need to be better. In some instances, yes, but this is what's going to happen when you have 27 cars on a track that's a mile and and what 1.8 miles mm-hmm. with not a lot of runoff. It, well, yeah, that's very tight with a street circuit outside of the runway. It, it's pretty hard. Yeah. Other notes, Jack Harvey, uh, he was checked and released after he was taken to Bayfront Medical Center. How about He's that in car? Condition. You see that car yeah. with the uh, with the arrow screen protecting another driver from what could have been serious injury. Uh, Benjamin Peterson's car. I mean, it's just was that Benjamin Peterson's yeah, car with all the the, uh, the, the scuff marks mark and the tire marks, it, yeah, yeah. all just the way up the nose and across the aero screen, yeah, wild. Uh, that Jay Fry tweeted out that video. It's you can see the tire mark uh, over the aero screen. Just look, is it aesthetically as pleasing as it could be? No. Is it saving drivers' lives? Yes. And ultimately, that's all that matters. And even as much as the the side impact that we had on the lap one crash and later on when, um, who got airborne uh, or climbed which, over? Which, uh, Kirkwood? Yeah, Kirkwood climbed over Peterson at that point. Like, as much as we dogged the car and it's, it's, it's a, a decade plus old, and even Mark Miles tried to push back over the weekend and say, well, it's not really that much old because we've replaced so so much of it are. It's a new car. I mean, I'd push back a little bit on that. But the fact of the matter is, this is a very, very safe car. And at least for me, I'd much rather keep an antiquated piece of equipment going if the next iteration of something is going to lose a considerable amount of safety or proven safety. And we know the DW12 is proven safe with all the upgrades they've been able to do uh, with it. And that was once again on display um, frequently on Sunday. And uh, I think with that Kirkwood, so this is wild. Uh, Kirkwood set his fastest lap of the race like a couple laps after that happened. <laughs> it <was> pretty wild. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a just a, a a good 
good uh, race to start. A lot of storylines to come out of it based on on who did well, who did bad, and what happened. Uh, we just got to make it last for the next three plus weeks. Yeah, that's that's the real problem is just the gap in the schedule. So uh, attendance and TV ratings, everyone's favorite topic after every race. So the good news, attendance, very, very good. Uh, in fact, it's hard to believe what they throw out there attendance wise. I'm not going to lie. 500,000. No, not, <laughs> not that crazy, but no. it, it seemed crazy to me in the moment uh, because they're throwing around Long Beach in the 90s kind of numbers as far as the attendance goes. For the weekend? or Yeah, for the, for the, for the weekend. Yeah. So crowd up 49% on 2019, according to series officials. That was estimated 140,000 over three days. Nathan Brown saying that would make over 200,000 for the weekend. And a 20% year-over-year increase in, in attendance. Um. Oh, wait, sorry. Those numbers were from last year. So okay. Brown saying for 2023, they're tracking attendance up 20% year-over-year. So that would put it around 250000 for the weekend. Now, the Friday crowd, the Saturday crowd were pretty big. Now, am I buying 250000 over three yeah. days? No. But hey, when you uh, have promoters bragging about these kind of numbers, it, that speaks to the health of the event. Yeah, I mean, it may be a little bit hard to believe, but at the same time, if promoters are happy, then that's a good thing. Also, uh, Roger Penske uh, telling Nate Ryan... Uh, with the attendance numbers, IndyCar seeing encouraging younger demos. Uh, we'll get to that momentarily, talking about TV ratings. But it in person, I feel like the attendance, and we'll really get the testament for Texas and if that's really trending in, in the right direction. But well, you can it's a get start. yeah, you can get uh, a good idea of or a, an idea of how healthy an event is by how many people are going. And St. Petersburg is a healthy event. And right now, Texas is not a healthy event because of the lack of people in the seats. So people go round and round, chicken of the egg. What's more important, the the attendance at the races or the TV rating? Like w- w- without healthy events, you don't have a series, right? So it's very much the series or the events are the priority. And at least for St. Pete in a good spot, the rating, TV rating, though, left a little bit to be desired. Yes. Yeah, so TV rating numbers coming in the good news got over a million viewers the bad news it's down from last year when you look at the numbers and in what we had so for indycar 1.189 million for the opener down from 1.405 uh from last year the positive and and look if nbc is spending something positive out of it that means they're at least happy with it the average audience where they do that total audience delivery thing yeah uh, 1.22 million viewers. That's down from 1.44 last year, but that was the most watched non Indy 500 since 2011. So it's also a really high bar to compare it to. That's true. Um, overall, you're going to have some races that are uh, up from last year. You're going to have some races that are down from last year. I think overall, if IndyCar at the end of the season through 17 events is up, then that's good. So not a great start, but all that means is you need to make up some uh, some of that in other events, and we'll see if IndyCar can do that. And, and looking at the number, I mean, Peacock is becoming a more significant part of the viewership, and that's not taken into account for the team. So 1.189 million, 1.22. So Peacock and I think NBCSports.com and 
the NBC Sports app. I, I get that it's not all Peacock, but right. what you're looking at, I'm bad at math. You're looking at what, like nearly 30,000? Yeah, roughly. about there. Yeah, a little bit more. So 33, 34. So that's, you know, is that actually changing the TV rating in, in any significant ma- manner? And I get it. The, the surveys and the sample size, it's it's crazy if you went into the science behind how they do it. Well, it's, all you need is one or two people that usually have a box that are watching on stream, right? Yeah. So that's all it kind of really takes at this yeah, point. Yeah, that would take away from the TV rating. Yeah. But top five markets, uh, this from Adam Stern. Indianapolis, number one, no surprise. Yeah. Tampa, number two, again, duh. Third, Cleveland. Okay, Interesting. Bring, bring back the Cleveland race. <laughs> Even though that airport bring is like airport. closing, right? It's fine. Uh, fourth, Hartford. Yep, bring Hartford Street Race. Let's do it. You want to get in the Northeast? Fifth, Milwaukee. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Milwaukee Mile, baby, next week, next year. So just to put it in perspective as far as the uh, top five for the TV rings. Overall, though, look. You get over a million viewers. I I don't really have a whole lot to complain about. Uh, and I will ideally, say, you get one point two plus, but yeah. they were very very close to that mark. And now I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is going to be the most direct comparison with the amount of races that we have on NBC as opposed to off NBC. Was last year was the big jump, right? Yes. And then now this is going to be the most direct. Um, I mean, direct comparison to since we've had the majority of the races on big NBC. So that's going to change the narrative too. Cause you could always, however you spun it is last year. Well, yeah, the rating should be up because you have a lot more races on big NBC. Well, now you have the same amount as you did last year. So now it's going to be comparing apples to apples. So we'll really get a good sense of whether the series is trending in the right direction year to year because of the similarity of where the races are broadcast from 2022 to 2023. Well, and it's also going to help that you're going to have your first, let's see what, six races? No, seven races on NBC. It helps build that that momentum that people are always talking about. Yes. That I, I'm not sure is or isn't a thing, to be honest. Well, and then you'll have one, two, then you'll have your three races that aren't, uh, three of the four that aren't on NBC right after that. And so the schedule kind of going back and forth like that. But then with three races to close out the season on NBC as opposed to two, which is, I believe, how it was last year, uh, also should be helpful as well. But that will be something we'll watch throughout the season and how that plays out. Uh, Other notes from St. Pete. Surprisingly, this is the first time they've had a first lap crash going back to 2017. Last year only had one caution all race. Sixth time they've had a first lap caution, but again, first since 2017, that from trackside online. So thought that was notable. It happens. Now, where do you stand on, I know this was a debate with three and four, is should the track be, or for, should the series be more proactive in how the how the, the track layout is uh, maintained throughout the year? To me, it just, like, we're racing on city streets here, right? There's going to be things that happen because this is asphalt, this is concrete for city streets. So, for me, I think it's just an added wrinkle. Look, you you got to adjust to three and four based on how it was racing. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it. I think, yeah, I, I mean, look, the drivers and the teams, they all do a track walk usually on Thursday, late afternoon, evening, before Friday when they arrive uh, for the weekend. Like they're aware that the turn changed, that the yeah. walls were tighter. 
Yeah. Like it's and not like had, this was a secret. There was a patch there and teams and were more trying to figure out the break bias settings because I think they said in, in practice one on Peacock that the the breaks they were getting from the supplier, which I believe is PFC, something changed with yeah. the, the pads. Right. So I think that was more of the issue, not necessarily that the turn changed and there was a bump. Yeah. I think it's more that they were trying to adjust to the change in the brake pads. That that's the way I, that, I took it. That's what you get racing on a street circuit, right? You're gonna have some uncertainty. You're gonna have some things that change from year to year. So I don't think it's anything that the series or the track or the city need to do. That's just where what you're given. Every year it's there's gonna be different quirks to a street race because of what happens the other eleven months out of the year on those city streets. So to me, that's a that's a non non conversation starter for me. Is you race where you race, it's a street race. And those are the uncertain things that you have sometimes pop up. All right. So that wraps it up uh, as far as everything from St. Pete's. Did you end up watching the Indy Lights race? I did. Uh, I found it very entertaining. Pretty fun. Uh, huge field. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, it Outside of the Jamie Chadwick car, because it's yellow and red, With and the easily identifiable. Yeah. It's in the Hunkos cars. There's a lot of white out it's, there. Yeah. It's going to be hard <laughs> for me to figure out who is who. Yeah. Um, but I thought there was some legit uh, passing. Maybe you could say arguably more passing at the front than we saw in the IndyCar race. Oh, yeah. Guys and, going from third to first on restarts. Yeah. Uh, some late race drama in terms of the winner. And, An incredible interview after a crash. <laughs> see, that's what we need in in in, uh, in IndyCar is uh, I'm not saying the, the, the F-bomb being dropped on, on live stream, but... That's the emotion I want to see. I want somebody to call somebody out for making, in their opinion, a terrible move and and taking somebody out of the race. That's the passion. That's the drama I want to see. We had more of it in the Indy Lights race than we did the IndyCar race. Yeah, that, that was a wild interview. That was great. One of the last I had it on at work a couple days ago, and I'm like half listening. I'm like, wait, wait, what did he say? <laughs> and I had to, to, uh, to uh, rewind I, a little bit. I saw on Twitter that... Like that happened, and then I didn't really think anything of it. It was like, oh, I mean, it's streamed on Peacock, so like, who yeah. cares? You know, they can't do anything about it. like you're not breaking any regulations. No, I get that it is a lot. For probably should interview. No, but yeah, probably best not to not do. to. I know Kevin Lee apologized for it. I'm like Kevin, don't apologize. That's the stuff. That's not, that's what I want to see. I'm not saying you want to hear f bombs, but I want to hear some drama. I want some guys calling other drivers out for stupidity or what they perceive as stupidity, and that's what we got in the Indy Lights race. There was a, a lot of action on and off track in both. Yes. Indie lights. Uh, at least that's what we call it these days still. Yes, we do. Um, and and I think Indie there's a lot. lights presented by Firestone. Yes. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of talent. And I know every year they say it, but legitimately, I think there's a lot of good drivers. I'm not saying future IndyCar drivers. I'm saying really good Indie lights drivers. And you can pick a, a, a lot of them that could potentially win a race. This is the first year in a long time that I feel like Indy Lights is more than just two or three drivers you know, competing for the championship that you can usually pinpoint before the season is probably being in that select group yeah. who could win the championship and move on to IndyCar. This feels very wide open. I have no idea what's going to happen because they've kind of changed the schedule up. There's large fields, so you're going to have a lot yeah. more crashes, a lot more chaos. And that will be interesting to watch throughout the season. There's more legitimacy to the series for the first time in a long time. Yes, absolutely. Is, and, and that's good. All right. Well, if you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. 
While you're there, sign up for the email list. It's free to subscribe. You'll never miss an episode or any special announcements. Also, check out the store. We have stickers and t-shirts for sale, so you can rep us at the racetrack, on your cooler, on your laptop, uh, on your car, what have you. Uh, plenty of ways to represent the podcast. Plus, uh, you can reach us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. Same for Instagram on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. Also, our email, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. You can also uh, become a supporter via Patreon, patreon.com slash NewTrackRecord. Uh, we have tiers for as little as $1 a month to support us. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, Stitch, and others for their support. And as always, you can listen to us for free on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Overcast, Player FM, uh, what have you, wherever you listen to podcasts. Spotify? Yeah, I said Spotify. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Spotify is the second the only, most popular one. That's the only one I use. There you go. Yeah, we're on Spotify and, and you can subscribe. You can even rate us, I think, on Spotify. So you can, oh, do, can it you on, do that now. I didn't yeah, know you, you can could. do that on uh, Apple, obviously. And then you can do that on Spotify as well. So I, it looks like we have uh, 25 ratings. So let's try to boost that number. Wow. They all ones? Uh, no, because we have a 4.8 average. Oh, so wow. It's actually quite good. Which now it's going to go down because someone's listening <laughs> and they're like, why are you guys talking about this? I, I hate this. Uh, so uh, that is how you uh, can can reach us, listen, plenty of ways to get in contact. With that said, time for the mailbag. And as always, a very busy one after a race weekend. That's just a given. So we scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll back to uh, everything that people had to say leading into the weekend. And let's see where the first thing Lies. I know we had uh, something talking about. I think. Let's see. There, there are a lot. So I'm trying to go back to where we begin. Here we go. So you posted a poll. I did. Yes. Okay. Uh, actually, no. I posted this. Adam Stern. So the story talking about potential new races. Uh, a lot of good information. We'll get to that in news and notes, but. Uh, someone responded with simply Cleveland. Big D cart said Cleveland. Hey, and they watched in droves over the weekend. They did. Are they going to race in Cleveland? No. No. Uh, people having issues uh, like myself, you could not watch lights in the U.S. as far as practice goes. Which is just completely ass. I, I don't understand. Uh, 500 Indy 1911. Because uh, I asked, can, can you watch this? And, and, and he said, one cannot. Uh, Daguerre said VPN from Canada. Yeah, if I had VPN. Uh, Sig Domer, RP, we need to grow the series. Also RP, there will be no money to move up. I'm cutting the best race of the year and not allow access to NXT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was uh, an unfortunate negative from over the weekend that I thought was easily avoidable. I would agree. Very puzzling. I just don't know why. I mean, even if... And granted, I'm not in charge of anything. I don't know how much this money this could be, but even just putting the the video on with the the audio feed from the race course would be something, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, just something. not even be able to watch practice. You can get audio. You can get IndyCar radio audio. Do they do the Indy lights? Yeah, yeah they do. So you can get audio. You just can't. You you don't get the uh, the video portion no 
but yeah. it but to me it's like this this does not make any sense to not have not at all that access um moving on when herta uh, went into the tires uh bra fog said got to change that tagline from defy everything to competitive chaos that was uh, the race in a nutshell. It definitely was. And sometimes it was more chaos than competitive. Other times it was more competitive than chaos. Uh, Kirkwood, uh, after his airborne incident, R. Cole said he's the fastest in Dreddy car in the field. Yeah, that was true. Um, I am analog said they had to scramble his brain. It's incredible. He's still going. It was pretty wild. It, it, it was so much promise, but unfortunately with Kirkwood, the end result was not there. Once again, and this one was out of his control, largely, but mm-hmm. once again, it was another DNF for him. Well, I mean, it dropped him significantly. Dropped, yes. Yeah. Somehow uh, he was able to continue. Stealth 1014 on the McLaughlin uh, Grosjean incident. Team Penske needs penalized the next race. Those guys in that team is ruining the sport. Uh, I'd say they, uh, no, Penske I'm, just ruined their weekend for themselves. Yeah, they don't need think another so. penalty. They I mean, got a penalty. Plenty of drivers ended other drivers' day last Sunday or in the series, and that and Team Penske is not immune from that. McLaughlin made a mistake. I am analog. Get that conversation on tape. You know, Grosjean is just seething. Yeah, IndyCar, in fact, posted uh, audio after the incident. Unfortunately, he didn't really say anything, you know, in the TV interview, which was really the time to do it. Yeah. Unfortunate. We need uh, some drama around here. Yeah, speaking of drama, uh, I tweeted, F1 can't touch this on-track drama today. Uh, Brafog said, this is insane. St. Pete trying to take some chaos from Nashville. Uh, Zach underscore Dowdle said, F1 couldn't touch this drama in a full season. <laughs> nope, yet it, f- it finds the drama for Drive to Survive behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, R. Cole saying, great day for AJ Foyt Racing. Yeah, obviously in jest. Tongue in cheek. Very much tongue in cheek. And with that, it's time for Rate the Race. Get to a lot of feedback here. All our responses. Majority or positive. On this one. Uh, and, in fact, before that, Chris in the Six, once again, the 2018 Sauber driver who should not have won today has, in fact, won. <laughs> <laughs> that's happened quite a bit yep. in IndyCar. So, Rate the Race, where, where would you go? I went um, eight and a half. I'm going to go nine. Me. Okay. I think I take a little bit away because well, you, yes, you had on-track passes for the lead. It, it feels slightly manipulated just because of the, the plenum event. Yeah. So I take a half point away and then only a half point away for just, it was borderline between crash fest and entertaining. And I just take yeah. a little bit away because it was very tight in that aspect. No pass for the lead late, which is always a full point off for me. And always a half point off for me. For well, I mean, no, there was a pass for the lead. Well, I'm talking competitive. Like it was yes. a yeah, it was. I wouldn't say it's contrived, but it was mechanical. Is why we saw it. Um, so that takes a full point off for me. And then uh, it's always a half point off for no grid girls. <laughs> so nobody will ever get a perfect ten in uh, in the D car for me. But I think it's eight and a half is fair. I, I think you're kidding, right? <laughs> I hope. Uh, hey, I would take... Uh, All grid. our female listeners just shut this up. I off. would take grid boys at this point. Okay. <laughs> it's not a sexist thing. Not a sexist thing Good at save. all, for sure. Good save. Uh, all right. Replies from the audience. R. Cole, 9.1. 
Great to see Callum Eilak at his first top five. Yeah. Wait, he gave it a 9.1? Yeah, how do you come away with that scientific of an <laughs> answer? I want to know uh, your methodology. What was the tenth of a point? Are you using the scientific method here? Yes. Uh, run underscore mark underscore run. 10 after watching F1, but probably more of a 7 now that I think of it a little sloppy. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Tyler underscore Allen gave it a 10. Elsewhere, TNS LX 9.5. I think a lot when people talk sloppy, when you have the opening race Mm -hmm. in such such tight confines and little preseason testing, that's what you're going to have inevitably. And 27 cars. Yes, 27 cars on a street circuit. Not not a road course or an oval. Well, an oval, you could also get a lot of carnage just because there could be a backup at the start. We usually get that on an oval. We'll probably get that at Texas. Go figure. Uh, Bengals DFW, uh, 100 emoji. Phil underscore Barksdale, 9.5. Had everything you could want except a last lap pass for the lead. So much better than the Bahrain Grand Prix. Well, yeah, that's not saying much. That was, in F1 terms, that race was like a six. But yeah. in IndyCar terms, that race was a two. I mean, there was some entertainment in the midfield for Formula One, but nobody nobody sniffed Red Bull. And already the conversation is, is anybody going to win a race no. outside of Red Bull? Somebody else will win a race. Uh, yeah, I think happen. someone else will win a race. But yeah. when George Russell said the championship's over, <laughs> you know, I honestly believe him. Yeah. I get that teams will improve over the summer break, but no That's one a long way had away. anything. I mean, Ferrari just fell back. I, I get that Alonso made a late charge, but no, it, no one's touching Max Verstappen this year. Uh, not at all. But there will be some races that other teams win. It's not going to be a clean sweep by any means. It's not going to be 23 Red Bull wins, but, but uh, it'll probably be 22. I don't know. I don't think so. I think I think there'll be twenty Red Bull wins. I think three race three races will be won by somebody else. That that takes away nothing with the with the lack of drama. Then uh, Formula One, but I don't think it's a clean sweep for Red Bull. They'll screw up. True, they'll have an issue. Yeah, a couple times. And I mean, come on, Checo is good for a couple mistakes. Yes, that's true. Daguerre gave it a ten. He said, everything I love with IndyCar, both Pato and Erickson were deserving winners. They stayed away from trouble. We're fast enough throughout the race. Uh, continuing on, Rob underscore McMahon. Not the outcome I wanted, but a solid nine. I'll even go 9.5. A lot of entries here. Jeremy from HBG. Nine, highly entertaining. I should probably retire my fantasy career. I doubt it's going to get better. <laughs> yeah, I'm 26th. Daniel SEM 2004. I don't know what spot I'm in because I don't talk about the championship until after <laughs> we talk about fantasy championship. Uh, hey, I'm not talking about I, the championship. You're higher than me. I know that. Which means the dog made your picks. <laughs> I made my picks. <laughs> Daniel SEM 2004, solid 9.5. Only thing missing was a last corner pass for the win. Big props to NBC Sports for saying with an IndyCar broadcast when they could have punted. Yeah, I'm glad they brought be that up, up yeah. because. They were set to leave the broadcast window at 2.30. It was never even discussed. They went till 3. We knew that the race lasted past that 1. We're probably going to get a timed event. And they had enough time to to get to the end of the race, and so they made it happen. So that was a, a, a big move to get an extra half hour. This is showing that IndyCar is a priority. Which in recent history hasn't been. No, has, has not been. Even on NBC, for example. Yeah. DC Soda, first 97 laps, get a 10. Last three, get a four. Cannot believe that's how it ended. I am analog nine. Huge shout out to the JHR team. Both cars in the top 10, well, top 12. Attrition aside, it's still really impressive to stay mostly out of the chaos. The IndyCar app is somehow worse this year. I, I didn't really play with it much. I don't race. do anything on the app on I use the laptop for timing and scoring 
during the race? Yeah. And then yeah, usually pull up TweetDeck. That's yeah. What I, I don't do. really do much anything, any of that stuff. So I, I do know that casually being around the app, I'm not seeing anything appreciably different from last year. And, and even when they listed the so-called upgrades, mm-hmm. was more to me like it kind of just seems like normal progress with yeah. an app. But that's me. Indy Oreo, 3.5. Yeah, Oreovitz wasn't a fan. No, he did not like the crash fest. Yeah. Uh, Povich Shevchenko, the race had pretty much everything. Battles for the lead, any in collision, pass for the lead, battles through the field, even mechanical failures. The only thing I wish it had was a race with 27 drivers for at least a lap. Gave it a 9. Uh, NC061, 9.5. Feels like one of those races that will live in the lore Wikipedia section for like IndyCar on NBC or something. Yeah, it was wild, and I think this is like a very memorable race we'll think about down the line. I don't know, though. I don't know how you top, like, a, in, in recent history, a 2021 Nashville, for example. Yeah, very true. But it was entertaining, and that's yes. all we can ask, particularly if you watched uh, the F1 race to start your Sunday. Jamin T14, Chaos Loving Me says 10. Pretty messy, going with a 7. Human Spectre, 1. 8. Definitely haven't had a St. Pete like that in a while. A lot happened and made for a very entertaining race. Also glad everyone was all right after the crashes. Yes, safety is paramount. Considering the, yeah, considering the amount of chaos we had and nobody had any uh, serious injury, is this a testament to the safety of the series right now? Uh, Transocean Trojan, 9.9 out of 10. Loses the point once. So now we're getting the method behind the madness. Uh-huh, okay. Because I would have liked to see Erickson pass for the lead without Pato's engine issue. Just a little annoyed how a slower car with clean air and worse tires can hold off a faster car with fresher tires, chassis uh, showing their age, I guess. Well, if this was uh, the conspiracy theorists that think the NFL is rigged, somebody would be out there would be saying that obviously it was rigged against Pato Award yeah. and the series set up that plenum Because fire. they have to set it up for Penske and Ganassi. Yeah, that's true. I'm actually kind of surprised. It's actually that really ever... easy to... <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, to maybe you're on to something there, Caleb. No, so, no. Uh... <laughs> I'm not suggesting any of the sort. Yes, so... Um, you could make the case. It's a stupid case, but you could somehow make the case that that's a thing, even though it's not. Uh, this is quite the handle. GTO 549 GOAT. Okay. 10, wild race. And then last entry, uh, Hunter's Way 67-8. Despite some bonehead moves throughout, Grosjean should have had his first win. I think he gets it at Long Beach. Andretti's street course package is very fast. The problem is they struggle to... Finishing? Yes, finish races. <laughs> so we shall see if that can change. But as of what we saw Sunday, that that's that's where we're at as far as with Andretti. We also had a, a message come in as well uh, to get to. Um, talking about the top five markets, this from uh, JSH Will. And the markets for NASCAR, IndyCar, and F1. Uh, you guys are talking on last week's podcast about the cities where IndyCar is paying to put the new ad campaign, specifically Philly, which I also thought was interesting. Even more interesting, Philly was the second highest market for F1 this past weekend. Throw in Sacramento, and then you start to see what IndyCar's plan is. Slide into markets that F1 is opening up and pull in some of those new eyes to IndyCar. Use F1's massive budgets to create new customers of motorsports, which takes a lot more, and then open them up for IndyCar. Am I on the right track thinking this is a good strategy or too optimistic this early in the season? I think there's a method to IndyCar's madness on I would agree. which cities they're targeting. 
what is going into that thinking. Maybe it's it's related to Formula One. I'm not sure. Maybe they're just generally looking at markets that they feel are untapped uh, by other entities. I mean, IndyCar is untapped on the East Coast. Yes. Overall. They don't have Pocono, yeah. so they're untapped. So I, there is definitely a method to the madness for IndyCar, and that's one good theory. Who knows exactly what the answer is? So I, I, I thought that was an interesting question. I don't know, like you said, but I'm sure they're, they're doing these things for a reason. Now, talking about TV ratings, Indy Oreo just said, uh-oh, Hunter's Way 67 says, this sucks, what now? Look, it, they'll be fine. I, I, I guess I'm not going to overreact. Yeah. It's not, it's not the end of the world. This was, this was. They're not getting under a million viewers. Okay, right. it's that's just one when race. You, you be concerned. You just want to see it even out at some point. The end of the, the end of the season, 17 races. If, if the series is up, then that's good. So, just you're, you're going to have to dig yourself out. Now you're not ahead of the curve to start the season. You're behind the curve. So now you have to, uh, to make it up elsewhere. And they can. If the Indy 500 is entertaining, they'll make it up. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the key. The 500 is the key to everything, right? Vicky Lynn 26 said, I can't speak for F1 or NASCAR, but St. Pete did report record attendance. More butts in the seats, less eyeballs on TV. That is something that people talked about last year for the Indy 500, for example. Yeah, especially in a market like Indianapolis. I just don't know how much that impacts the TV rating with just St. Pete. Uh, fan. Like how many, how many of those people would be counted as a Nielsen viewer that were otherwise at the race. I'm not exactly sure how that would work. DC Soda uh, tagging us to, with some context that Nathan Brown had. Third most watch opener for the series in the last seven years, buying 2020 and 2022. You got to remember in 2020, they were, what, the second sport back behind NASCAR? Yeah. And they had a Saturday night race on NBC. You're never going to get that again in primetime. Yeah. At, at Texas. And then last year. So... The comparisons you have, yes, last year is the gold standard. Yeah, but also then you have you have this. Uh, ratings were down for all three. Stealth ten fourteen saying I only watch on Peacock anymore, and that's another factor. Yeah, the streaming numbers will continue to go up. That's just the reality where we're at. And I know Poet Shevchenko sent us a, a couple notes. Uh, first time F one IndyCar had their season openers on the same day in a long time. Is it far-fetched to say 100 to 200,000 people woke up, watched F1, and said, that's my racing fix for the day handled? I don't think it's far-fetched because I don't Especially think the crossover a- between new F1 fans and IndyCar is that high. I think the yeah. crossover is IndyCar fans who are longer-term IndyCar fans who casually watch F1. I think that is more the crossover scenario here. I can definitely say if people sat through Formula One and were like, I cannot suffer through another boring race like that and didn't watch IndyCar. True. But I don't know if there's a general theme for anybody, really, because for you and I, it was looking at it as, hey, you can watch multiple races in one day for the first time all year, and that's exciting. Other people are, I, I'm busy and I, I can only watch one race, or I'm not interested in Formula One, I just want to watch IndyCar anyway, so... I don't think there's one magic elixir, one magic answer for it, but collectively the the rating was down 16% and IndyCar needs to make that up somewhere. Also, NASCAR was down significantly and you can tell that not having Chase Elliott in the field impact of uh, that. Your your star guy truly matters. I mean, he is the draw, right? I get that you have Kyle Larson, you have Kyle Busch, but far and away, Chase Elliott is the star. I would agree. And the fact that maybe just Vegas is a boring race. Well, yeah, that too. Also, this from Poet Shevchenko. F1 took the lightest hit year over year, still have a whopping 50% of viewers in the key demo. So he's talking about 
the younger demo that that they're looking for. What is that? The eighteen to forty nine, right? Yeah. So, cup three point nine nine million, uh, but eight hundred thirteen thousand. And I think F one one point three six hundred thirty three. So half of their their numbers are that key demo, and then IndyCar nearly one point two million. 216,000. So that's something to keep in mind. You got to go younger and IndyCar is trying to do that, but they still have a long way to go. And sometimes the dominance sells in Formula One. Some people are tuning in to see just how dominant Max Verstappen can be and Red Bull. They're tuning in for the personalities, the drivers, the teams, rooting for your favorite team. Uh, It's not maybe necessarily all about the on-track product. It's that you're a Ferrari fan or a Max fan or Mercedes, or a Lewis or, fan, yes. or an Alonzo fan, yeah, for sure. I think that's that's where you're 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 finding the majority of your fans. And also, when we talk about worldwide popularity, look at soccer, the most popular sport in the world, and most Americans look at it as incredibly boring. And you look at Formula One, and in relation to other things that that Americans watch, you say, well, it's a lopsided series where only one or two teams can win, and blah blah blah. It's not entertaining, but then again, you look at soccer and you have people watching soccer games and going to soccer games that you're looking at going, this is boring, but it's the same people. It's the same people. You don't, just because you're not having the competitiveness and all that doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't watching because I think soccer is a prime example. And how much is it, for example, people won't watch the MLS, but they'll watch the Premier League. True. They want to see the best of the best. They won't watch IndyCar, they'll watch F1. And, And there is some of that. And take if Man U's dominating everybody else in the in the Premier League, does that mean less people are watching? I don't necessarily think so. I think you tune in to see just how dominant Man U is. So similar to F one, maybe people are just tuning in to see how dominant Red Bull and Max Verstappen are. So far, so good through one race. People like dynasties, right? Dynasties True. in sports that sells. They like dynasties or watching dynasties die. Yes. And I think that's just as much. Some people want to see the dynasty of Red Bull, what they can do this year, and Max Verstappen. Other people are watching to see, in their minds, hopefully somebody take down Red Bull. That doesn't seem to be the case this year. Uh, you posted this poll. Uh, which finishing position at St. Pete surprised you the most? Uh, 45.1% said Canapino in 12th. 25.3% Ilot in 5th. 20.9% Herta in 20th. Grosjean 18th. 8.8%. And I think people were... Definitely least surprised by that. That's not a surprise, but some of the responses I am analog. Uh, I would say hurt us since it seems like whenever I pick him to win, puts it into the wall or something stupid happens. So to give him a chance for this year, I'll refrain from picking him. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. I picked her to win that race. I thought, yeah. okay, he'll get Grosjean early on and check out because, but the thing is, if he doesn't have a race like that, he can't win. Right. Like he, he can't battle back and that's a concern. Yeah. I picked uh, Pato, and I felt like I was in a good spot. Yeah. Until conveniently. Well, for the record, I picked Herta on the app on Fantasy. I Going uh, into the weekend, I picked Pelot. Gotcha. So just make that distinction. I had to ask you who I picked. I can't even remember yeah, who I picked. Yeah, you picked Pato. Yes. It's a good pick. Uh, Autosport Lab, uh, no talk about the championship before the Indy 500. Don't uh, worry. It's true. We will not. Nope. I'm ignoring the picture you sent me. I'm not even going to look at it. <laughs> Uh, Poe Shevchenko, Canapino, because it's his first time in open wheel competition. Yeah, we we talked about that earlier, and I think that was, I think, far and away the most impressive thing out of the entire weekend for me. I would concur. So, uh, again, tons of, of things from everyone here. Appreciate all the entries. I hope I didn't miss anything, but thank you, everyone, for your rate the race uh, notes. And actually, okay, 
I don't worry. I found more. Ooh. And a couple of these are interesting. You posted this uh, looking at the IndyCar annual early spring schedule break like, and you posted a gift from Home Alone. Let's see. This would have been Home That's Alone, Home Alone 2. 2. Yes. Lost in New York. Uh, yeah. Wow, what a hole. Yeah, when Marv fall, falls yes. through the hole in the uh, be, house being renovated. Yes, in, in New York. Uh, 500 Indy 1911 says a Home Alone reference by an IndyCar podcast. Should definitely be a square on the next IndyCar bingo card. Well done. Uh, hey, thank th- you. We are here to serve you. Yes. Uh, Z Steins underscore. That's the Twitter handle. If uh, Fundadora Park resurfacing actually pans out, they best be putting that race right in this massive gap. Okay, I- I'm dumb. I need to look up where this is. The uh, where is Fundadora Park? It's in Australia, right? I thought so. But I'm or no 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 sorry is sorry. it Argentina no. it no it's it's in Mexico oh yeah yeah so yeah. this is a Monterey yeah yeah gotcha and this was talked about I think in the off season so this would be the obvious thing one it's Pato's like hometown I get that he spent a lot of time in the For San sure. Antonio area but th- this would be a given if this happens and look I'd love to see it happen I'm just I'm not convinced stuff like this in in. Foreign countries traditionally doesn't go politics, well for IndyCar, right? Everything, yeah, right. You, you can't even when we thought it was a done deal to have Surfers Paradise back, and that didn't pan out. Yeah, I think there needs to be a race in this hole next year. I would still bet on a domestic race being added before a international race. As much as I feel like Argentina makes too much sense not to do it, I could see them adding Homestead instead. Yes. I just hope there's something there. That, that's yeah. all we're asking for. Okay, way too long with that. Time for news and notes. It, it's so many, so many rate. The, in fact, I, I apologize. Found more rate the race. Barrowman Sarah said a two for the race. TNS LX would have been a 10 if Pato pulled it off is my bias statement. So a couple more that I forgot to get to. Okay, news and notes time. Here we go. Taking a look at uh, what we have. So first off, speaking of tracks outside the u.s adam stern had this story come out before the race weekend a couple of interesting things on the series we talked about the 20 markets that they're doing the ads in. talked about that last week miles uh expects more than 33 entries in the indy 500 i'll believe it when i see it yeah. even address that over the weekend as well Ta- uh stern talks about how f1 is closing the gap last year indycar 1.3 million viewers on nbc sports channels F1, 1.2 million on ABC and ESPN. That will be something that's fascinating to watch throughout the year. Yeah. How those ratings play out. Because one, F1's getting more races on ABC, like Monaco. Yeah. Will be, uh, will be on ABC. They should, they'll, they'll pass IndyCar this year. Um, also this, Mark Miles saying, uh, is their property focused on schedule innovation and talks to add races in the southern and eastern regions of America. So, out east, Philly. Hmm. Yeah. Do you go Mm -hmm. back to Pocono? Maybe. Has it been long enough? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, In the South? Is that Rockingham? Is Richmond? Yeah. Is Richmond East or South? (laughs) Which one? I would consider it the South because it's in Virginia, but you could also consider that the East. I still say Rockingham would be interesting. I mean, they've put a lot of money into Mm -hmm. that facility. Uh, Are these, you know, Homestead also, that would count for the South. So these are all things to look at. Uh, they're also in ongoing talks with three businesses that are interested in becoming race promoters in IndyCar. 
plus some keen on hosting an event overseas. Obviously, the event overseas has to be Argentina, right? I mean, yeah, and, and that's why, if anything, root for Augustine Canapino to have success because the more success he has, I think the greater the story is back at home. And we saw the turnout. The people showed up just to see a, a demo of an Indy car going around with yes. Canapino, right? So the more popular, the, the more success the Canapino can have, the more popular it becomes in Argentina, the more likely you have some big market businesses in Argentina step up to front money for that race. Other notes from Mark Miles, Indy 500, we're ahead in every sales category. Also over the weekend, they confirmed IndyCar took 150000 per liter circle car to bulk its marketing budget by $3.3 million. Basically admitted that they probably did it without enough um, advance notice to the teams. Mm-hmm. At least he admitted that. Yes. Uh, as far as the, the weekend, so St. Pete confirmed for 2024, March 8th through 10th, 2025, March 7th through 9th. Also Firestone back for the next two years as well. So that is uh, positive. As far as 100 days to Indy, he says Penske Entertainment. Uh, ultimately, Penske Entertainment will see the proposed episode and be able to say that's got to go or not. Boring. I, I hate this. I'm no. not going to lie. You can't have veto power. I mean, you can. That's understandable as the owner, but you're just going to take out anything that, that presents the series or drivers or teams in a negative light. It's just going to be neutered. Yes. And that's, and that that's doesn't I think, make a fear for everyone has. Yeah, it doesn't make for entertainment. It's from Nathan Brown. As far as uh, Jay Fry says, without a third OEM going to a more expensive engine formula with the hybrid, he doesn't expect there to be any more than 35 or 34 to 35 possible entries uh, competing for 33 spots at the 500 moving uh, f- formula. Uh, at the same time, doesn't expect the full-time grid to scale down at all. We got to figure something out here because yeah, the, the grid give, right? is getting out of control size-wise. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can't right now. You can't be clamoring for more cars. Twenty-seven no. is is borderline too many at some of these tracks. We talked about it earlier. Like th- that's not the issue now. The prime you've solved that problem. Now the primary issue needs to be finding a third OEM, getting somebody else on board, right? I mean, 27 cars is enough. If it got scaled back tomorrow to 24, I still would be perfectly fine with it. You get into the the early, you know, the 21, 22-ish, then you're thinking, oh, we need more cars. 27, more than enough. We don't need any more. Figure out all the other problems now. In yeah, it, yeah, the full-time car count is solved. Yes. We, we have other Move things. Move on to another issue. To worry about, like, oh, I don't know, finding a third OEM. Yes. Which we already talked about international races, so now we need to talk about uh, third OEM and, and look these problems aren't going to be fixed as far as any 500 car count getting above 33 or 34 uh, until you get that third OEM exactly and also with the chassis they're not going to do anything with the chassis but I think I get it they're saying well we're adding the hybrid well the hybrid's been de- delayed right uh, and as far as the third OEM Jay Fry saying both Chevy and Honda do a phenomenal job but they're tapped out or to the point where they're exceeding expectations on inventories. So the hybrid piece will add to that. Indy is a part of that. I think we get to a point where 34, 35 cars is probably the max we could currently have with the capacity that we currently have. So a third would certainly help expand it. Okay, well, I I guess I'm just at the point where let's make it happen. Uh, It's all talk at this point. I I don't don't really care what they're saying. Let's see action. And, and I know and, they're trying. I'm not saying yes. they're not trying, but I just, uh, it's just words. The, and the engine issues, there's a good Autosport article on, on all this where you have all this positivity, but then the engine 
backtracking where they kind of did the switcheroo yeah. on the engine size in the off season. I mean, that, that really hurts your manufacturers and Chevy and Honda who've been very loyal and you don't want to do anything to lose them. Cause if you lose one of them, you're in a world of hurt. Yes. I mean, also thoughts to willpower's wife, Liz, uh, been battling a staph infection, uh, last week. Uh, Sounds pretty scary. She had, what, off-season surgery? Yeah. So, uh, sounds pretty scary there. Uh, Chip Ganassi uh, in a sit-down with Nathan Brown, the Indy star. Uh, main takeaway, don't call it a lawsuit regarding the Alex Pillow situation. And you saw them if you watched. I don't know if it was on the race broadcast, one of the practice sessions. Those two guys having a pretty chummy talk and and Chip clapping him on the back and, and laughing. I don't, I don't think I'm, – I'm sure there was some ill will. There's plenty of ill will. I don't know if it's there anymore or if they've they've moved on and because they look pretty fine with each other. They've moved on. I'm curious what his teammates, That's, how they feel. Well, I don't know necessarily teammates, but probably... Because Dixon was not thrilled. Well... In, in the moment. I could the see, yeah, I could see more Chip and maybe the representation of Alex Pillow having issues still on how that was handled. And maybe probably Chip would say maybe they manipulated Alex Pillow a little bit behind the scenes talking about his people but directly i i think this these these things have a tendency with 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 people particularly guys that have to work together all the time is you just kind of let bygones but like look look we're going to disagree not necessarily handle it the best blah, blah blah we're moving on and, and that's i think what has been the sense here with chip ganassi racing and alex pro below is all right it's behind us we know we all could have done this a little bit better and handled things a little bit better but in the end, let's just move on and and uh, have a good relationship and a good season. That's seemingly where Chip and Alex are. Meanwhile, with Andretti, uh, Nathan Brown with a good story, IndyStar.com, talking about Andretti setting lineup. This was in early 2021. Uh, Alexander Rossi uh, kind of just punted as far as making a decision for his option in 23. And then Michael went out Got Kirkwood lined up. Rossi changed his mind. Michael has say, uh, it's too late. We we already reached a deal. You already put Kirk Kirkwood on on ice for one season. You couldn't do it for two. No. I, I think it worked out for everyone involved. Let, let's be honest. It, it, Rossi, it was it's probably just time for those sides. To, yeah. A mutual parting of ways, if you will. And a good uh, debut for Rossi yes. with McLaren in fourth. And and we saw the, the speed and the talent from Kirkwood. Over the course of the weekend, next, we just need yeah. to see the result put together. I just think it works out for all involved, both Kirkwood and Rossi. I would agree. Uh, this is big news. Any 500 tickets in the mail. Hey, so hey. I should get mine here very soon, like probably in the next couple of days, probably definitely before next week's episode. But they sent out some numbers, more than 25,000 blue envelopes sent out, more than 580 postal trays, more than 150,000 race day tickets. So people talk about, you know, the how many tickets for and, and people show up for that event. This is just for renewals. Their renewal rate um as of you know 10 or so years ago, the the estimation was always around 2 thirds. So uh, more than 880 person hours, weighing more than 5000 pounds, 43 Penske Entertainment employees uh filled envelopes. All 50 states, 35 countries including the US, 43 days to package envelopes. It's it's a whole task and what I love about it is it's one of the few sporting events where you still get very unique, specialized tickets. Yes, you very much do. In, which the I physical care physical tickets, yes, as opposed to here's your QR code or here's your digital ticket or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not a fan of. Pato Award and Felix Rosenquist, part of those sending out blue envelopes and 
even I think sent some special notes to some fans as well with that. Elsewhere, a couple other quick things. Simon Pasha will return to Le Mans uh, for the first time in over a decade. He jo- this is the name of the team. Cool Racing. Cool. Yeah. Is it not with a K? Is it, or is it K E W L? No. Okay. No. Just no? cool like normal spelling. Cool okay. Racing LMP2 class. So gotcha. Keep an eye on him. Obviously, Pinsky will have a team. Ganassi will have a team there as well, I believe. Jamie Chadwick, Forbes 30 under 30 Europe list. So congrats to her on that. Had a rough uh, debut Mm -hmm. in Indy Lights. First incident wasn't really her fault. Second one definitely was. IMS Museum, uh, you pick the cars in the next exhibit. You can vote. So just go to their any of their social media channels. You can find the link. So that's a, a pretty cool thing. Voting ends March 30th. And final notes. I would want I would want an exhibit yeah. of the slowest cars <laughs> ever at to qual- try to qualify at the five hundred. Like the one and it can go by era, like the slowest cars mm-hmm. of the fifties and the sixties. Like Sebastian Saavedra when he made the race <laughs> crashed in a hospital bed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You could have, of course have the lotus cars. Like I I want an exhibit where it's just like the worst cars in Indy five hundred history. There you go. Because I, they never get any attention. I'm sure you could uh, put that in the survey. So yeah, well. Adam Maybe Stern, this other notes, Tommy Bahama in Columbia, new merchandise licensees of IndyCar and IMS uh, as part of their work with uh, Legends, their retail partner. So that's a pretty big upgrade. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people pointed out on social media that the the merchandise tents were expanded. So were they? That's good. That's positive. Because people are always complaining they can't find merch. People are always complaining about everything That's true. when it comes to IndyCar. That's true. We never complain, though. No. And <laughs> the the only... Yeah, right? <laughs> the only other thing I want to get to, so the mailbag, this is from last week, but uh, we talked about international races. Another one to add, though I don't really think of Canada as international. I mean, it does count. But Marshall Pruitt saying, one track that I've heard is a possible venue for IndyCar, though it's said to be slim odds, is good old circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Canada. Haven't been there in forever. 2000 Formula One race, I think. Where I was injuring an Atlantic car and would love for us to add a second stop north of the border. That would be big. And then uh, he had this to say a week ago in regards to Indy 500 entries and, and where things stand. But uh, 33 in place. So from what I'm told, there might be a 34th if one or two possibilities get their programs in order. If they do, it'd be a case of whomever is ready first would likely grab that final motor. Stretching out to 35 would be a big surprise. If we ultimately close the entry list with 33, I won't be shocked. As for next year, there should, in theory, be a greater possibility of supporting 35 to 36 entries. I'm wondering why next year, in theory, there'll be... We kick the can every year. We do. On that, <laughs> Next right? year it'll be 35-36, right? That's why I'm, I'm questioning. Also, Takuma Sato, we thought he was in for all the ovals. Only guaranteed to run Texas and the Indy 500 in the 11. Probably want to see how that goes. Yes. So if he wins Texas and or the Indy 500, I'm sure he will remain in the car. But otherwise, I think they're going to want Armstrong to get the short track, short yeah. oval experience and, and see how that goes. Well, you also mentioned, too, and in, in reading between the lines about Jack Harvey's future. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this. Yes. Yeah. This was wild. I said we only have one more note and we got like 10. Uh, this was from Marshall Pruitt, let's see here, uh, in his season preview articles that admittedly we... We didn't read. Tossed aside. <laughs> Maybe we but should. There was a, a great nugget in the, the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan uh, season preview that Marshall had on Racer.com. 
saying this, what Harvey can't afford is to stumble out of the gates in the early rounds. There's no driver I can think of in the IndyCar series with a shorter leash than Harvey. Not with someone like 2012 IndyCar champion and 2014 Indy 500 winner Ryan hunter Ray sitting on the sidelines and waiting for a call from a team in need of instant results. Mm. Harvey has everything he needs to have a great year, so with that part known, I have to believe he'll live up to his talent and capabilities and put 2022 well and truly behind him. His career depends on it. I'll be fascinated to see what he does at Texas, because remember, that's the track where he had a crash last year and, and Ferrucci filled in for him. Could he be the first driver replaced this season? If someone was going to be replaced, yes. Unless someone else you know, runs out of sponsor money right. where they checked in clear. But yeah, I, I think so. And if I'm Ray Hall, I would evaluate up to the Indy 500 and then yeah. say, hey, we're making a change. Because why, why would you wait until after? That doesn't make sense when you have a, a former winner and a guy True. who's capable of getting you definitely a top 10. And if things go the right way, could sneak into a top five. And if just throwing it out there, if we're looking for an extra car or something, if if Ray Hall Letterman landing it is entertaining Ray, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray at some point during the season, why not run him at the 500 regardless of whether he's replaced Harvey in that seat or not at that point? And that's where the engine lease situation comes into play. And yeah. I think Honda was reserving that, what, is it 18th? Yeah. And they're not going to use that unless, unless you convince them that it's a former winner that you're trying true. to enter. And would Honda be a peak their interest it, enough? Is that enough to, right. I don't know if it is. Me neither. I mean, he sure. is well thought of among the Honda ranks, yeah. uh, no doubt. But I mean, he won a serious championship with a Chevy. He won his Indy 500 with a Honda. So you have, you have that at play. True. So, but something to follow. Yes, for sure. And I, I think we'll have our answer after Long Beach, I think we'll know which way that's trending. I would. I don't think it'll take agree. very long. Yeah, I don't think so either. Doesn't sound I think like we'll it. know. All right, time for our random split error driver of the week. All right, we're going to Champ Car. We're going to 2004. We're going with Mario Haberfeld. Who? Actually, raced a decent amount of races in Champ Car. 2003 for My Jack Conquest Racing. 2004 for Walker Racing. Raced the entire seasons in both, and have a, had a couple top fives. Um, in particularly in 2003 with my Jack Conquest, Conquest Racing. Easy for me to say. Won Formula 3, British Formula 3 in 98. Drove in Formula 3000 for several years and was actually with the McLaren Junior team, but um, failed to score a single point. Actually tested for the likes of Stuart Grand Prix, McLaren, and Jordan in Formula 1. In 2003, moved to the Champ Car World Series uh, his team shared information with a fellow rookie team uh, driving a Raynard chassis, Emerson Fittipaldi's team with Tiago Montero, who was a uh, IndyCar driver, or champ car driver, and a Formula One driver Yeah, as well. Um, his best finish of fourth was in his first start at St. Pete, and then 2004 was then a field filler, basically draw, driving for Walker Racing, but still had a couple of top fives that season, and then that was it. Then went to uh, Grand Am Racing, and did a significant amount of uh, of Rolex 24 racing and Le Mans, uh, and 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 re- even as recently as t- 2019, 2020, raced in the Jaguar I-Pace e-Trophy online. So he can really tear it up even online, despite uh, being now north of uh, 45 years old. So Mario Haberfeld, a native of Sao Paulo, 
in Brazil. Two full seasons, 2003-2004 in the Champ Car World Series. Pretty impressive. Yes, uh, 12th in 2003, 13th in 2004. Best uh, finish, St. Pete, 4th in 2003. That was the first, what, St. Pete race? Also his first race. Yeah, in, his first race. Champ Car, and then 4th in Toronto in 2004 with Walker Racing. So my jack is Mike Lanigan. Did you know that? Yes, So I did. Conquest, that would have been uh, Eric Bachelard, right? Yes. Uh, who came over to IndyCar after reuni- reunification in 2008, but I think he was basically gone after 2009. Uh, just with the economy taking a downturn, uh, he did not return. So 2009 or maybe 2010, I-, I can't remember, but didn't last that long, but they have a, a plethora of random split air drivers of the week. They do. Uh, as far as Conquest racing I start, goes. I just had to pick one of like eight potentials with that team over the over a couple years. So th- that's going to be fertile ground to continue uh, our run here. But this week, random split air to drive of the week, Mr. Mario Haberfeld. All right. Well, for Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. We'll be back with next week for the, well, I guess, the, the mid-season off-season for <laughs> IndyCar. Hopefully some stories break through. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.